It's good to see you all here on this Advent Sunday at Woven. Um, this past season here at Woven, each Sunday we've been offering some gifts through my sermon. Actually, not actual gifts, but I've been offering some teaching gifts that I hope have richly blessed your life. And uh, we've been walking through Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, and skipping at a brisk pace. And so today we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read the first 16 verses of the fourth chapter of Ephesians. And so I invite you to listen with me. Listen with me to the word of the Lord as I read this out, as you reflect on the image on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended... Christ is the very one who also ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity to the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. These words of Scripture talk about a community being built up together in God, each part having different gifts, each person bringing something different to the table this Saturday. Are you opening the floor for people to bring stuff? Potluck, right? Yeah, so everybody's going to bring something to the table. Everybody's going to bring something different to the table. We want to stick with the southern theme, though. Anything. So whatever you bring to the table, that's going to be your contribution. And so as we bring our different giftings to the table, that's what I want to talk about this Sunday, the two halves of today's talk that you'll see in your notes. The first half, the first thing I want to give to you 
is a calling, a calling. And we've been talking about this a bit. Talk about it just a little bit more. And the second half, the second heading is a gifting, a gifting. So a calling, we're going to bring a calling, and secondly, a gifting. So we begin with this first half of today's talk, a calling. And I've been camping out here a little bit these last few weeks um, because that's something that I've been growing through myself. I've been searching out my own calling. I've been searching out, as I read from 2 Peter, make every effort, every effort to confirm your calling and your election. And so I've been doing that this season, wrestling with what exactly is my role in this church? What exactly is my purpose? And really, um, any good preacher is going to bring a little bit of their own story and their own experience into the pulpit. So I want to talk more about calling today. And the second half, we'll talk about gifting, but let's dive right into that first half, a calling. Look with me at verse 1 of chapter 4. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Different parts of Scripture, different parts of Scripture preach differently. You can preach chunks. Sometimes when you read through Scripture, you preach through a passage, through a, a whole section but there are some parts of Scripture that actually preach word for word. And Paul, in Ephesians, is one of those places. Paul is one of those places because in Ephesians, every word is chosen carefully. Every phrase is packed with meaning. And therefore, when we walk through Paul, for example, as like verse 1 that we're going to look at, you can work through it word for word or phrase for phrase because it's packed with meaning. So let's look at verse 1. Paul starts off saying, as a prisoner for the Lord, he reminds the, the Ephesians. These, are, these Ephesians, they're not Jews, they're Gentiles. This is a multi-ethnic audience. And so he speaks to them and he reminds them, remember, I'm in chains on your behalf. For your sake, I'm in prison. As the story goes, it's believed that Paul went to prison because he had the audacity to take a non-Jew, a Greek, a Gentile with him into the Jewish temple. That's a big no-no in Jewish culture, a big no-no. And so in prison, he writes to the, to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, saying, listen, I have, I have the street cred. I have the street cred because I, I was willing, willing, willing to go out on a limb for this cause, the multi-ethnic church. And so as a prisoner for the Lord, as one who's gone out on a limb, as one who has a little bit of cred, a little bit of street cred, I urge you, is what he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life, I want to talk about this, live a life, that in the Greek is one word, peripateo. Peripateo is one word, pateo means to walk, and peri. Does anybody know what peri is? Peri is where you get the word perimeter. And so walk around the perimeter. Walk around, walk around worthy is what he's saying. Walk this way. Talk this way. To walk around the perimeter, to walk around. Let me just tell you um, a little bit, uh, just kind of launch into a story here. Uh, you, most of you know that I travel every now and then. Each year passing by, I travel more and more. And I've learned some basic secrets of travel. 
of traveling comfortably, of traveling happily, and getting to your destination. I've learned a couple of secrets. I've learned how to navigate a few airports very well. I've learned my way around. But the newest secret that I've learned when it comes to travel is this, if you can see, cowboy boots. And the thing about cowboy boots, I like to wear them a little bit large so that my toes can wiggle around. I don't want them too tight. And they're great because when you're on the plane for three or four hours, your feet, like, they blow up, right? And so the great thing about cowboy boots is you have room for your feet. They can breathe, and you can easily slip them on and off for the TSA and all that. Now, here's the thing, whether I'm traveling to LAX or to DEN or to ORD or to wherever, and I have my cowboy boots. Of course, if you're wearing cowboy boots, you're not going to wear dress slacks with them. It just doesn't fit. You've got to wear the jeans. Am I right? And then with the jeans, of course, then the rest of the outfit kind of seems to come together. And the next thing you know, you're at LAX walking around like this, and you're talking because your boots kind of have that heel. You've got like the two-inch heel, and you're starting to kind of swagger a little bit, and you got this way. Now, this is a big step for me because I'm from New York. I know what it means to swagger, all right? You know, I know what it means to talk around and walk around like I got some swag. But after nine years in Texas and, you know, wearing some, you know, kind of living into the lay of the land, you start to swag a certain way. You carry yourself a certain way. The message here is if you are going to be a Christian, you have to kind of wear it on you. It needs to have a bit of a swagger to it. Not overconfidence, but humility. There's a swagger. There's a way that we carry ourselves as Christians that is different from the rest of the world. That people can tell, walk this way is the message of Ephesians. In fact... Paul is saying, since you Greeks, you non-Jews, today, that's pretty much all of us in this room, since you get to be part of the people of God, since you get to be a Christian, all the more you're going to have to swag. All the more, because the Jews are watching, you're going to have to visibly prove to them that you are and ethical people, that your lives are changed. So, swag this way. Walk this way. Walk in a way that's worthy of the calling. You see that phrase, live a life worthy of the calling. That phrase, worthy of the calling, is the question I ask myself from time to time. Do I live indeed worthy of the calling? Do I live as if this Christian mark is tattooed on my heart such that people can see that and say, I like that little tattoo there. Can they tell, am I living worthy of the calling? And the thing about a calling, this idea of calling, and here is where I want to camp a little bit. A calling is not something that God says to you all of a sudden, I want you to, um, I want you to become, you know, the great and powerful leader of a community, or I want you to become the king of the earth, or to become, you know, to take this high-standing role, and you're like, well, great, I'm called to do this, and I'm just going to step into it, and wonderful, I get all this, I get all the accolades that come with it. The thing about a calling, oftentimes when you are really called to something specific, it requires a little bit of submission and obedience. Why? Because to have a calling on our lives is not an easy and light thing. That, oh, great, well, I get to be that. To have a calling 
sometimes is to do the very thing we don't want to do. This is actually Dietrich Bonhoeffer who says, when Christ bid a man to follow, or a woman to follow, that's Bonhoeffer's words, he calls you to come and die. He's not calling you to come and be great. He's not calling you to come and be awesome or super or famous or notorious. He's calling you to come and go downwards. The great Christian message is one of downward mobility. It is not one of ego and lifting ourselves up. There requires a little bit of submission and obedience because when I know, when you know Jesus is calling you to follow, there's a little bit of a burn. There's a little bit of a workout to that because you know this is, you know, you know that sense where you're working out, but you're not really working out until you're huffing and puffing a little bit, until your, your back is, is, is wet with your sweat. When there's a little bit of a cardio burn, a calling has a little bit of that burn. It has a little bit of that submission. It has a little bit of that obedience, even if it's uncomfortable. But it's a calling. It, it, it is, it is, it's a calling to submission, nonetheless. But let me tell you a quick story. A quick story about what it means to live into your calling and the submission and the obedience that's required. In the 11th century, there's a story about King Henry III of Bavaria. King Henry III, he was tired of court life and the pressures of being a monarch. And as he was tired, he said, what am I going to do with my life? God, what are you calling me to do? And God said, I'm calling you to, to, to be obedient. I'm calling you to submit. I said, God, I'm king. Who do I submit to? Who does a king submit to? I'm on top of the world. And then he saw Prior Richard from the local monastery walked down the street and he said, aha, there's the answer. So King Henry runs up to Prior Richard and he says, Father, I'm done with being a king. I'm ready to enter into the monastery. I want to enter into a contemplative life and I want to just give myself over and just be one of the monks. And Prior Richard looked at him and he said, Your, your majesty, you know that you have to take a pledge of obedience here. And he said, yes, I know, I understand. And he said, but you've been king your whole life. Do you know how to take an order? And the king said, well, I know how to give an order. I know how to tell people, but I'm ready to learn how to obey. I'm ready to learn, so call me, prior. Call me, father. And prior Richard turned to him and he said, fair. I'll give you your first order. This is your first order. King Henry was ready and was ready to listen and ready to act and obey. And his first order was go back to your throne and serve faithfully and well as a good king in the place where God has placed you. And King Henry obeyed. And he went back to being king. And for the rest of his life, he learned to serve his people by being obedient to that first order for the rest of his life. He learned to be king by being obedient. He learned to serve people by following through in submission to the first order that would stay with him for the rest of his life. My question to you is what were the first words? What was the first order 
that God has spoken to you that carries on through the rest of your life? What is the first order? I can share with you my own testimony in 1996, 1997, and I remember it clearly because I first heard the words in the summer of 96, leading over into January of 97. Those words were being confirmed in my heart. Two sentences. The first sentence was, I love you. So every, every command, every, every calling is founded on this relational, relational, relational foundation. I love you. And then the second, the second thing was, will you follow me? Will you follow me? Okay, I wish there were some more details to that. The point is, I've spent the last 20 years of my life being obedient to that first call. I've spent the last 20 years of my life being obedient to that first call. Those words, will you follow me? Or really, just two words, follow me. And many times, I didn't have more instructions than that. I didn't have more instructions. I, I just knew that following within those two words, the rest of my call would come forward. As a prisoner for the Lord, live a life worthy of that calling. Live a life worthy of that calling. But then Paul continues. There's more to this sentence. As a prisoner for the Lord, live a life worthy of the calling you have received, is what it says. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. There's something that's lost in that translation. That word calling, how many times does it appear in that sentence, that word call? Take a look. It only appears once. But in actuality, in the language, in the original language, call appears twice. It says, live a life worthy of the calling, probably more accurately translated, with which you have been called. The NASB captures this, by the way. Live a life worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Those last words, with which you have been called. I want to camp on that just a little bit. You have been called. You have been called. Let there be no doubt. You have been called. The first thing, the first dimension to this is that you have been called. But there's a deeper dimension. Not only have you been called, but you've been called in more ways than you realize. So when he says, live into this calling with which you have been called, you have been called, that latter, that second time that word call is mentioned is in the past tense. It's happened in the past, but more specifically, it's in something called the aorist tense. Allow me to do a very, very brief Greek lesson here, only because it helps us understand what's happening. The aorist tense with which this word called is being spoken in, the aorist tense is not just in the past, but it's something that's in the past. It has something called an undefined aspect. An undefined aspect is something that's happened in the past, but at the same time, you don't know how many times it's occurred in the past. It's undefined. And so there's a potentiality 
that this happened in the past, but it may have happened in the past more than once. It may have happened repeatedly. Allow me to illustrate, if I might use the Kim family once again for this illustration. Let's say Paul comes home early from work one day, and he says, I just had to get out of the office. Things just really needed to get home a little bit early. Things were pretty... Things are pretty hairy. So he steps away, and he comes home, and he sees Nate. And he says, hey, bud, you want to go to the batting cage? Let's go hit the ball. And Nate's like, yeah, let's go do it. So Paul, daddy and son, uh, they step out the door. They grab the bats. They're, they're going to the batting cage. And just before he leaves, he texts Shelly. And Paul says, we went to hit the ball. Is this in the past tense? Yes, we went to hit the ball. The question is, how many times did you hit the ball? Because three hours later, Paul and Nathan, daddy and son, come home. Uh, their, their cheeks are flushed. They're high-fiving each other. They're feeling great. And Shelly says, where were you? Where were you? Three hours later, where were you? And she says, well, I texted you. We went to hit the ball. How many times did you hit the ball? Hit the ball is singular. We hit the ball once. No, actually, we hit the ball 255 times. We hit the ball. So there is an error of sensibility there that it happened in the past, but there's a potentiality really that you hit the ball more than once. Am I correct? So when Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling with which you have been called, it kind of works like hit the ball. It kind of works from this, it is an aorist, first of all, and it kind of has this potentiality that it's not just something that happens once, but potentially you were called repeatedly. You were called throughout. Is God calling you repeatedly? Repeatedly. When God calls us repeatedly, it behooves us eventually to answer and to live into that calling. Friends, God asks once, and I'll never ask again. No. I think God, in his wisdom, he knows, he knows, how, to, he knows how to speak to us exactly where we are. If maybe 20 years ago he asked you, follow me, He'll ask you again. He'll ask you a few more times. But your calling is something that's going to be worked out over time. Your calling is not something that just happens once. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like uh, when, I, when, I, um, when I talk with people who are much more detail-oriented than I am. And I say, could you repeat that again? And there's almost a sense of irritation. I said it once. Why do I have to say it again? Well, it's because I'm insecure. Could you tell me one more time? Because I wasn't sure I heard it the right way. I don't want to get it wrong. Could you say it one more time? No, I'm not going to say it one more time. I said it once. Why should I repeat myself? The thing is, God's not like that. God's not like that. I actually think that God is not impatient with insecure people. God is not impatient to remind those of us, could you tell me, could you tell me what my purpose in life is again? Could you tell me who I am? Could you tell me that you love me again? Could you tell me and remind me what worth and value I have? Can you remind me again? God doesn't say, I told you once in 1976. Why do I have to tell you again and again? No, God's not impatient. Oh yes, I will tell you. I will tell you that I love you. I will tell you who you are. I will remind you. I'll tell you again and again. 
and again. Your calling is an ongoing thing. It's not just once in the past. I hit the ball. But it's something that is repeated. Something that is ongoing. He calls you. He's not impatient with you for not heeding. But deep down inside, you know you're being called, right? You know that there is some beckoning, right? You understand that, church, this is not just about me teaching you what the Scripture says. You know that there has to be some kind of a profound experience that happens, right? You know this is not just about coming to church on Sunday to hear Pastor Wayne talk about the Bible, right? You understand that there has to be some encounter with God if he exists. I'm not sure if he exists. I'm not sure. I c- Therein is the wrestling. Therein is the relationship. You know that he's calling you. I was speaking with a friend, nobody here, just recently. And he wrestled. He said, I'm not sure I'm able to drive the ball past the goal line yet, just yet. And we're not talking about football here. I'm not sure if I can really readily identify my, I'm not sure if I can fully, fully, fully walk into the Christian faith yet. I'm just not sure. But I feel the tuggings. I feel the burn. And he said this with tears. That as he was growing closer and closer to the Christian faith and hearing the message, he was heeding the call. He was recognizing Jesus at the door, beckoning. Christ calls you, friends. Christ calls you. But I want to add a little bit more to this thing about calling. He doesn't just call you alone. Sometimes we think that God chose me, I'm special, or that if God calls me, there's something unique about me. Actually, it's not so much that. He calls us in community. He calls us corporately. You see, all throughout Ephesians, Paul doesn't talk to Bob, the Gentile. He's talking to the Gentiles, plural. He's talking to the people, the Ephesians, as a whole. He's talking to all of them corporately. He calls them one new humanity. He's saying God is calling you. He's called you. He's adopted you. Remember last Sunday, I gave that story about about my dog, Bailey, and the experience of being adopted. This is not just an individualistic thing. This is about people being adopted. This is about all of us being in on it together. He says, you've been called to be fellow citizens, fellow members, fellow heirs, fellow partakers. So he calls a people. So the thing about calling, if I might offer two Two clarifying points here. First of all, God will remind you of your calling. He's not not impatient to remind you. But secondly, God doesn't just call you alone. God calls you as part of a people. He calls you to use your gifts to serve the community. So your calling is not just for you to stick out as a sore thumb. Your calling is in the context of community. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, live a life that's worthy of the calling. Carry yourself a certain way that's worthy of this calling with which you have been called. Called. 
and called. And you are called in the context of this new people of God, this new humanity. You've been called to be part of a community. So that's the first, that's the first half, the calling. So if you're called to be in community and you're called to be part of the people of God, what does it mean to live into this community? This is where we get into the second half, giftings. Giftings. Just as we all show up on the doorstep of the potluck, each bringing their own contribution and their gifting. What is the gifting that you bring? Let's look as we enter into the second half. Let's look at verse 8. In verse 8, when Jesus ascended on high, he took captives and he gave gifts to his people. He gave gifts to his people when he ascended on high. (laughs) So you have this very interesting image. So Jesus ascends on high and he gives gifts. A few things that I want to say about gifts. The thing about gifts is when we think about gifts, we often think of flat screen TVs or we think of Xboxes or we think of... All, all of these things, but the, the gifts that he actually gives are in verse 11 and 12. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Very utilitarian. It's almost like getting a sock or getting socks in your Christmas stocking or getting something very practical. Here's your, here's your Christmas sweater. I hand-knit it for you just to keep you warm. Very utilitarian gifts. These gifts, he brings them to equip his people for works of service. Right away, what we can see is that the purpose of gifts is not for you, it's for other people. The gifts that Christ gave were not just for us individually so that I could say, I'm gifted. I have gifts. But the gifts that he gave were actually to be given to others. Now, now think about this. Isn't that exactly what the word gift means? So say, for example, I gave, I gave Zach, if I gave you a gift and you had in your hand a gift, what do you do with the gift? You might unwrap it, but as long as it remains a gift in your hands, what do you do with a gift? You gift it. Gifts, in that sense, do you hear what I'm, They never terminate. I don't have a gift so that it serves me and it ends there. If you have a gift, you're supposed to give it. Does that make sense? Gifts, they don't terminate. Gifts, if you have a gift, you're supposed to gift it. The purpose of gifts are to be given and shared. If you have a gift, it's not like, oh, I've got a gift. I'm the best harmonica, you know, boot-stomping harmonica player in this building. It's not just for you. It's so that you can gift it for others. That's the purpose of a gift. It's for the benefit of others, just as it says at the end of this passage in verse 16, as each part does its work. Your gifting is your way into the community to serve the community. But the the other thing about gifts is if they are meant to serve other people, if gifts are meant to serve the community, then you need to be in a context. We need to be in a community context in order to exercise those gifts. If gifts are meant to be gifted for other people, therefore they need this context. They need a context called the community. They need a context called the community. Let me just share with you just a personal story, right? Let me just share with you that, um, you know, for me, when I was growing up, 
especially in the church, I was frequently told that I was gifted. And I understand, even as I say that, part of me is like, that, that's just not the kind of thing you say out loud, right? But I wonder if that's Asian culture speaking. That if you have a gift and you can't tell somebody that I have talents, then what good is the gift? If you have a talent or if you can do something, but you don't want to tell anybody or you can't exercise it, then why even have a talent in the first place? They are meant to be expressed. They are meant to be sowed back into the community. They are meant to be given to other people and given away. They're not meant to be held in for your own benefit, like, oh, I've got a gift. They are meant to be given. So in that regard, it's good to acknowledge that I am gifted with something. I make the best darn sugar cookies that anybody's ever tasted. That's a gift. That's what we bring. And the thing is, the irony is, when I first entered into ministry 20 years ago, because of the role, because of the community, because of the position I held in different communities, I oftentimes was not free to exercise my own gifts. I was not because of the position, because of the role. And that's ironic that you can be in community and yet still not be able to exercise your gifts. In fact, that's tragic. What I've experienced in the last few years at Woven and even amplified more to a greater degree here in Kingdom City is that for me personally, I have been activated and released to exercise a lot more of those gifts. I mean, I, I used to play guitar too. The only reason I don't do it is because I don't want to be a one-man show up here, right? And so ever since summer camp, I've been able to play here at Kingdom City. That's been activated. I, I've, you know, I have different other things that I can do that. One by one, the giftings, they become activated when you are in a context that is releasing, empowering, when you are in a community where your fetters are thrown off and you're released. Friends, what I'm saying here is not just for me. I mean it, I mean it when I say I truly want all of your gifts to be activated, activated and released in a much more, shall we say, expressive way in 2019. And in 2019, your gifts will be on display more than ever. Because that's what they're for. And that's what builds this community. You see, listen to those words. Christ, he gave gifts to the church. You know what the gifts he gave to the church were? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And what were the purpose of these gifts? To equip the rest of us. To equip the rest of us. And those five stations, those five-fold ministries, some church traditions, they call this the five-fold ministry. The thing about these five ministries is that they have to be interpreted. What does it mean to be an apostle? What does it mean to be a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist? What does it mean? What do these five-fold giftings mean in our context today? I want to interpret these words. I'm not going to go too deep here. But I just want to say a few things about these words I want to activate, I want to do some activating here as well in our own church. 
Because I happen to think that these five roles, apostle, pastor, teacher, evangelist, I happen to think these five roles are not just for clergy. Do you hear that? I don't think you just have to be the, you, you have to be somebody who went to Bible school in order to fit one of these five roles. I think these five roles, they're useful for the church at large. They can be applied at large. You see, for example, that word pastor, that word pastor, poimen, in the Greek, what does it mean? You know, what does it mean to be a pastor? That word in the Greek actually implies shepherding, somebody who cares. I remember when I was in seminary and we took a class called pastoral care, and a friend of mine raised his hand in the very first class, and he said, teacher, what do we do if we just don't care? Well, that's a problem. That's a problem. It's like being a doctor, like, you know, what do you do if you really don't care about people? The pastor is the person who never asks that question because by default, she or he cares about people. You know, for example, I think of, if I can just call some of you out, I think of, Esther, can I call you out here? Not to the front, but can I just mention you? That when I think about somebody who cares for people, you come to mind. Somebody who genuinely cares, somebody who has the question of whether I care or not, that's not something that even passes your mind because by nature you are thoughtful, you are concerned about what happens in people's lives. And I want to, in a sense, just call that out, that pastoral gifting in you. And I'm, I'm not giving you a title here, or I'm not kind of, you know, but I want to activate that gifting. Yes, that pastoral, that caregiving. That in that regard, there might be every now and then a Wednesday night where Larry's at home with the kids because you say, I got to pray. Because there are people in this community who need prayer. And on a Wednesday night prayer meeting when there's people up here that are praying in Spanish, in Portuguese, in French, that you are adding a voice that speaks in the Korean tongue and your caregiving and your pastoral call is activated in that context. Can we believe in that? Can we affirm that in you? Larry's nodding. When I think of evangelists, I think of somebody that gathers people, that's able, that's able to be amongst others. Paul, I'm thinking of you. And I see the ability not just to have people rallying around you, but I want to also call out, even in more greater measure, the capacity to intentionally engage in spiritual conversations with folks. That when you have people gather around your dinner table, that you're not just able to gather them with your charisma and your charm, but that you're able to say, do you know Jesus? And that you're able to inflect the spiritual life into people more than ever. That you have this gifting of evangelist. That you have this, it's not just for somebody that, 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 that's up in clergy positions, but yes, pastors, evangelists. And I want to call that out, and I want you to be released. Didaskalos, teachers, I do think I fit this role, but I don't think I'm alone. Blake, you've been getting a lot out of this, haven't you, Sunday school? I've seen your heart. I've even seen your tears. And I see you on this road and on this journey. 
Do you know the day will come, Blake, when these words, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the rest of us might be built up until we all reach unity together in the faith? Can those words apply to you at all? That all of us growing in this, no longer infants or tossed back and forth or blown here and there, but that all of us can fully understand the gospel. That maybe there comes a day where you can share with others and guide others on this journey just a few steps further than where you've been you, or just a few steps behind where you are at the moment. And maybe sharing that. Prophets. What are prophets? Prophets, I think, are contrarians. Everybody's saying, it's going great. Things are going great. But then you have one person that's saying, no, 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 there's some problems. Prophets are the contrarians that are able to see past, who are able to march at maybe a little bit of a different pace. I think of Andrew, if I might call Andrew out. That you see the world differently, you know that? And that your ability and your capacity to see, even prophetically, and I'm not talking about, you know, in the future, thus saith the Lord, but I'm talking about able to see what others don't see. Sometimes even from a contrarian perspective, and yet that, can that be used to build up the community? You're even learning that. You're doing that even as part of the LT. Friends, I know that I've called out some of you and I could go on all day and talk about this person and that person and the different giftings and maybe we'll do that. Maybe, maybe there's a place for that. But I want you to consider what are the giftings that I carry in the community? What can be activated in my life that I don't have to hide it? What can I show? What can I bring to the table? What aspect of ministry? And if you recall, last Sunday we talked about this. We talked about the administration of the mystery. That all of us are administers of the mystery. That none of us, remember this? None of us is smarter than all of us. None of us is smarter than all of us. As administers of this mystery, may we all be activated in greater measure in 2019 in your particular gifting and calling. Let me just conclude. Let me just conclude here with three applications. Three fill in the blanks. So you look in your notes. Three fill in the blanks. The first one, I just want to remind you that God is not impatient. He's not impatient to remind insecure people. God, do you love me? God, who am I? What is my calling? He's not impatient. I told you once, gosh, why do you keep asking me? He's not, he is not impatient to remind insecure people. The second application is that your calling... It didn't happen to you. It happened to us. Your calling, it happened to us. It wasn't for your benefit alone. It's for the benefit of the community. 
Your calling is your gift to the rest of us. We are the beneficiaries of your calling and your gifting. And the third and the last application is to be activated in your giftings. As you search out your callings, as you search out your giftings, be activated in them. Be activated in them.